Hey, this is Chris from Don't Let Them Burn. Welcome to Paranormal Shift, episode eight. Today, my guest is Carl Tycrib. But before we get into my guest, don't forget you can follow us on don'tletthemburn.com, sign up for the newsletter, send us a message, see what else we have going on. You want to check out Genetic Apocalypse, our song. It's on our YouTube channel. It's also on my Hurricane 7 uh, music channel as well. You can also follow us on Facebook. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share, 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 so this work can get out. Welcome to the show. And today, as I said, my guest is Carl Tycrib. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing good, Chris. Good to be back with you. Oh, absolutely. Always good to have you. And so tonight, because I know we got a lot of ground to cover, and you already did two introductions already. So if you didn't see the introduction before, check out the last two programs of Carl. Both of them are on our segment called Amazing Machinations. We're talking about the book Game of Gods. We're all, we also talked about the United Nations agenda. You want to check those shows out. And so as we continue in, our, in that theme, actually, we're going to talk about the pagan festivals and we're going to delve into transhumanism. If you haven't heard of this before, you know what? I'm going to bring up their own website to show you that it's a real thing and that we're not making anything up. Okay. So, Carl, bring us into the pagan festivals, what you witnessed with your own two eyes, and how we can make sense of it in this post Christian world. It's important for people to understand that if oneness, and we talked a little bit about oneness earlier in the other broadcasts. If oneness is the dominant spiritual culture of our age, and that is oneness being the idea that God, man, and nature all share the same essence, then you're going to see it playing out in the world of politics. We talked about global governance in the United Nations. You're going to see it playing out in the realm of religion, and I've witnessed that going to the Parliament of World Religions. You're going to see it in our education. You're going to see it being played out as philosophy, as curriculum. There's a lot going on. But you're also going to have to find a cultural and a religious expression of it, not just simply the interfaith side, but a religious expression and a cultural expression. You also have to see it through a technological lens as well, because if oneness is a dominant culture, then even technology becomes wrapped up in that worldview. Of course, the biblical view is that God is other, that, it, that reality is not oneness, that reality is otherness. God is distinct and different from creation. He is not the same. And Chris, that sets us apart in terms of Christianity uh, and Judaism in terms of how we uh, uh, come, to, come to God. We recognize that he is different. He is distinct. And that then flavors so much of what we do. So, Taking a look at the cultural expression and the religious expression of oneness, you run smack into the realm of pagan festivals and also what would be de uh, deemed as transformational festivals. You could broadly cover this uh, under the umbrella of evolutionary culture. In terms of the pagan festivals, as uh, you know, and as many as uh, of, your, of your audience knows, paganism has been on the rise for quite some time. And I'm talking about the religious expression of paganism. That would include things like Wicca, heathenry. Uh, that would, it would include a number of, of various um, schools of thought within the pagan worldview. And so there's a, a lot of different events that take place in terms of, of the pagan world. There are festivals, there are some big ones like spirit, uh, pagan spirit gathering, which takes place every year. And of course, because of COVID, it didn't happen this year. Uh, there, uh, the Starwood is another one. For myself, Chris, I've been attending the more of the academic cultural conference side of the pagan community. So I've been going to pagan festivals that are more oriented as a conference. I've gone to Paganicon a number of times, which is uh, the largest gathering in the U.S. Midwest of pagans under one roof, uh, set up as a, as a um, as a conference. And then I've attended, and, and in fact, you and I were talking in person only a few days after I came back yeah. uh, from PantheaCon, which is the largest, which was the largest gathering of witches in the world indoors. And it's a conference, but it's more than a conference. It definitely has its own festival 
atmosphere, and it's a, a gathering of, of, of Wiccans, witches from various different backgrounds, uh, eclectic witches, heathens, druids, the, the list goes on. And here's the thing that people need to keep in mind. This is not the Halloween version that people have in their head of, you know, <laughs> people in costume. Yeah, you'll see costumes. You'll see all kinds of of, of interesting uh, makeup and, and and costume art artistry. But it's not your, you know, it's not trick or treat. It's serious. It's very serious. It, it has its own worldview. It is uh, a religion of nature. That is something that your audience should keep in mind. In fact, keep that in your back pocket because you're going to run into this. Wicca and, and the pagan community is certainly built around the concept of being a religion of nature. And that is very important. That's, that's really fundamental. And so it's a religion of nature um, expressed through the worship of pagan deities, through the worship of gods and goddesses. Some of this goes back to ancient times as an entire reconstructionist side to the witchcraft pagan community as they look to reconstruct as much as they can understand reconstructing uh, ancient Roman, Celtic, uh, Greco rituals and uh, those religions of, of nature. And so, you know, Chris, I, I've seen lots of stuff going to these events. Um, including rituals because these events take have rituals uh, in mind as well yeah. and and they'll they'll they have opening rituals closing rituals all through the week there will be or for through the weekend it's usually three to four day long events uh, every day there are multiple rituals that are taking place I, I sit I observe I watch some of it can get pretty pretty crazy um, I remember being at a ritual at Paganicon in 2019, uh, and it was a, a ritual called the Marriage of Heaven and Hell. Oh. And, and they brought in uh, a Christian mystic. He wasn't a Christian, and he made that quite clear. He wasn't a Christian, but he was playing the role of a Christian mystic. And so in the room, and it was a closed-door event, in the room you had this Christian mystic who had he had his clerical clo uh, clothing on. He had drawn a circle on the ground and his circle was um various symbols angelic names names of god um alpha and omega and so he comes in into his circle and he uh uses we would only be able to describe it as theological terms mm -hmm. uh, about 10 minutes of of speaking a, a, a theology within a ritualistic concept for the express purpose of bringing a specific demon to our, everybody's attention, literally having him materialize in the room in front of us. Uh, I didn't see it. I don't think anybody saw it. Uh, and that was the, the heaven side uh, because this is the marriage of heaven and hell. The hell side was on the other side of the room, Chris, was a Satanist. And he had his circle of power. And he, had, he entered his circle of power with pins, metal pins shoved through his eyebrows. Uh, through the flesh of his arm, mm -hmm. and then he pulled the pins and he would bleed out uh, in his circle. Yeah. And he called upon Lucifer and uh, using Lucifer's name to, to bring a, a very specific demon into his circle of power. We didn't see anything, Chris, but I tell you, it was a very unnerving, for the first 10 minutes, very uncomfortable experience watching this, recognizing that this is serious. I mean, this is this is not Harry Potter stuff. This is not you know, trick or treat. This is real serious um, pagan, a, a pagan reality. And I remember the first 10 minutes of feeling very, you know, quite uneased uh, with it. In fact, what was interesting was the, the Christian mystic felt uneased with it as well and even expressed that. Uh. Uh, he didn't feel comfortable with this. Mm. Um and then about, oh, 10, 15 minutes in, uh, it was like a little reminder, you know, they all will bow their knees. I'm just there observing, but every knee will bow to Jesus Christ. As Christians, as believers, we bow in love. The rest of the world, however, will bow. Every man, woman, and child will bow. And I believe the entities 
the masquerade of the, as these gods and goddesses, these entities will bow as well. All of them will acknowledge Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you, Derek Gilbert, and other people are trying to show the world. I think God is just using you guys to show the world that this old pagan practice and shamanism and all this stuff, it, it was dead serious. These spirits were real. They didn't show up um, as little bunny rabbits, okay? <laughs> they right. came as either in a humanoid form or an insectoid form or whatever the weirdness you got you, you get into when you take drugs, okay? They would take drugs, get into the altered state of consciousness. And in fact, uh, what you just described with the guy with the pins and all, he did that to get into an altered state of consciousness, to bleed out or whatever he was doing. And... Um, you know, this is called the pagan revival. It's called neo-paganism. You know the terms already. I'm just, you know, doing this for the audience. And um, in this season that we're in right now, uh, I said this before, it's about passing one God, passing the torch to, to the next in the equinox or the uh, all these Saturnalia festivals and whatnot, and on and on and on it goes. But I just want to bring to the audience the, the realization that these gods are coming back if they're not back already um and you can give uh this short story about athena mm. did it before but i want you to tell the audience again <laughs> <laughs> did you want me to read the the little section i did regarding athena out of my book sure sure okay well you know <laughs> it's interesting because we have this idea that um we have this idea that all of this is far, far away from us, right? Um, <laughs> it's not. Um, I'll read this little section, and then I'll jump into another story of Athena. Uh -huh. An imposing goddess stood before my young family. This is out of my book, Game of Gods. Mm -hmm. Bold and commanding, dressed in glistening gold. Around her wrists were bracelets made of delicate snakes. A hideous gorgon head was visible between her breasts, and she wore a lavishly decorated helmet with three combs. Protected by the goddess's battle shield was an ominous-looking serpent, head erect, body coiled, its tail slithering behind her feet. Against her left arm rested a spear, almost as long as she was tall. In the palm of her extended right hand was a winged figurine-like character. The room she stood in was impressive. Ancient-looking statues and sculptures lined the walls, and the high ceiling was held in place by vaulted colonnades. It was a setting that invoked a sense of awe. My wife and son had entered the majestic room first, immediately catching sight of the diva. Our five-year-old daughter, holding my hand, noticed her as well. How could you not? She was the center of attention, and a deadpan gaze rested on all who approached. Daddy, my daughter's voice sounded distant in the expanse of space. Why are we looking at a false god? How perceptive. There we stood, the four of us, in the grandeur of Athena's temple, the Parthenon, staring at a 42-foot-tall, gold-gilded image of the goddess of war. No, we had not mag been magically transported to ancient Greece. We were in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Here, here's the thing, Chris. You don't have to go back in time. All you have to do is look around. The buildings and the monuments that decorate the landscape of the United States, from the Statue of Liberty to as and you know, and I I know I read that section of text. I believe it was a couple of weeks ago, um, but it's just a harsh reminder or a a powerful reminder that those ancient gods and goddesses we think are somewhere in the past. We've erected statues and monuments to them. We're using them as um, representatives of democratic ideals and justice and equality. Then they, you know, the list goes on. We can't escape them. That's what it seems. Yeah. Um, it's it's really it's an interesting study when you consider that the United States and and my country, Canada too, has. A, a long Christian heritage, but the United States is known as a land with Christian crosses mm -hmm. from coast to coast. Yeah, and on all of your—and I'm not going to say all, but I'm just using this generally—on all of your 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 capital buildings, you've got 
statues to pagan deities. Yeah. You're building your, your, you know, your, your commerce centers have statues to pagan deities. Your justice system has statues to, you know, what, what gives? Well, why this infatuation with the ancient pagan past? Why? But it's there. And it's in your face. I mean, small towns and big cities alike, you'll find it all over if you just are aware. The interesting thing, now I'm going to just jump forward a bit. Um, I can't remember which pagan festival or which pagan conference it was at, but um, I've heard, because I've heard this, this, this said on a number of occasions, that the gods and goddesses, be they Athena or Hectate, or Nike, uh, be they the, the German or the Celtic deities, they now come to, and this is what the pagan practitioners are saying in the workshops, so what witches are saying in the workshops, that the, that the entities come to them with, with very specific names, mm -hmm. with very specific demands for allegiance, very specific um, modes of worship, and having loyalty now to that specific deity. I remember being at one uh, workshop where the the the, the Wiccan uh, um, who was leading the workshop described how she has uh, allegiance to a, the horned deity on the U.S. East Coast, mm -hmm. and she wouldn't give the horned deity's name. It'll be a, a version of Pan. Mm -hmm. And how she went to Scotland, uh, you know, the summer before and had spent some time at her friend's place, had slept by the altar to uh, her friend's um, horned deity, and how that horned deity appeared to her either in a vision or a dream or something, or spoke audibly to her. And it was a different voice, a different entity than what she was used to. But it, what struck her was, oh, oh, you're everywhere. You're all over it. I, you, you know, this personification of this deity or this, we would recognize it as a demonic entity, right? As, as a fallen angel of some type, it has a history and it seems to have, uh, at the very least, it has interest from region to region. And so when she was there in Scotland, it approached her in a different way than it would have approached her with when she was in, you know, in the on the US East Coast. But what struck her was this is this is the horned god. This is a, a very specific ancient deity. Yeah. And then then you have the green man. You have Cernanus, yes. which goes back to Cern. On and on and on it goes. Uh, and, and one one aspect that I know you 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 know this is is there, but entertainment, which is my where I go all the time. You have the Golden Compass, which is a movie about these kids that have these animal spirit guys that follow them. And at the end of the movie, they would have ended up uh, murdering God, basically. Uh, you have a whole host of movies and TV shows with all these animal spirits following these children. And in, in um, Catholicism, we would call them saints, right? And mm -hmm. you pray to them and whatnot, but they're not the saints of the Bible. They just take on the names. Um, you, in, in all pagan religion, there's some sort of animal worship. But the Bible gives the answer about these deities. One, it's a fallen world. Two, Satan is the king of it. And three, the reason why you see the snake worship, the animal worship, the, as far as the um, the goats and the, the bears and eagles and whatnot, uh, because they in Romans 1, it basically says that they rather worship the creator thing than the creator, but they know that he's there. They have no excuse. Go to Romans 1, whether you saved or not, and check that out. <laughs> God gave us the answer through his written word. So um, where would you like to take us next? Uh, I know that you said something. Oh, well, you already said uh, about a spirit showing up. And then another person gave you a, a testimony about Athena showing up. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know, where, where do you begin sometimes? You just kind of scratch your head because there's there's just so much going on. Um. Well, I think one thing people don't don't realize is just how pervasive this really is. I mean, so for an example, uh, when I take a look at evolutionary culture, 
tra specifically transformational festivals, which are different. I mean, there's a there's some correspondence in terms of what's happening at a transformational festival versus a pagan festival. Uh, but I was doing, uh, from 2013 to 2016, I was doing a mapping project, just mapping out where uh, uh, and, and how many people were going to these events. And, uh, and so I was only using the United States and Canada. Uh, that was just those two countries because it's a worldwide phenomena. And I was using Google, Google Maps, and I was pinning... Um, each location in Canada and the United States that I knew of, where there were pagan or transformational uh, festival uh, festivals, either everything from from uh, fairy festivals and Gaia festivals to pagan spirit gathering and uh, Listerium and Starwood and all the rest of them, and all the way out to the to the full on transformational side like Burning Man, which is different yet than all of these things. It's a different a different um, purpose. It's a different event. But it still falls under the idea of evolutionary culture, where, where these are every one of these are containers for for social and spiritual change. Okay, that's really what they are. They're containers for social and spiritual change. And I had to stop, Chris, because it was an overwhelming project to talk about it in my book. It was an overwhelming project. I had 265 pins on the map for those three years, mm. and it was coast to coast. Mm -hmm. And I had another 50 or so to vet, another 50 or so to add. It was an overwhelming task. For me, what that said, Chris, was this isn't just a U.S. West Coast phenomena or an East Coast phenomena. In fact, the, the transformational stuff, a lot of that was happening on the U.S. West Coast. But the real hardcore pagan stuff, so much of that was happening in the U.S. Midwest. Mm. Ohio, Michigan, Indiana. Um, Illinois, Wisconsin, lots of stuff in Wisconsin, lots, lots of stuff in, in uh, southeastern corner of Minnesota, um, Twin Cities, Minneapolis and St. Paul uh, are known as, uh, that region is known as Paganistan because it has such a large pagan gathering, it has such yeah, a large I, pagan community. I need you to emphasize that. So people really get what you're saying here. Yeah, I, yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, they call their own community the, the Twin Cities. Affectionately, the pagan community calls the Twin Cities Paganistan, as in its own their own nation. It is their own homeland. And so the 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 event I go to in Minneapolis called Paganicon is the conference or the convention of Paganistan. It's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, but there's that that's how much emphasis there is on on paganism within the twin cities region and then it goes out from out to saint cloud to the to the west uh even all the way up to fargo um yeah so you've got a you've got a western culture that is no longer steeped in in traditional christian values or ethics we've seen a massive shift in the last 50 years uh there is a void and that void will be filled, and it is being filled. And that what is filling it now is is the idea of reenchantment, or what we consider to be paganism. Yeah. But the the, the idea, Chris, of paganism being a religion of nature, well, that comes into politics. Then does it not? Mm -hmm. When you consider what the Green New Deal is, when you consider the the cult of climate change. When you consider the United Nations' emphasis on sustainable development, saving Mother Earth, green, I mean, I've got right here, right in front of me, the Environmental Handbook, going back to the first Earth Day in 1970. It's a religion of nature. The West has adopted a religion of nature. So on that definition alone, we're pagan already, whether yeah. we follow wicca or alexandrian fairy magic or whatever the whatever the fad or whatever the flavoring is the west is very pagan because the emphasis is on the earth right right um brett ward in the comment city uh this is uh agenda 2030 and he's correct uh yep. for those that are looking there it is on the screen uh here it is 
if you're wondering, and I keep bringing this up for a reason, if you can, if you're wondering why your Netflix and your Amazon and your Hulu and your Voodoo streaming services and whatnot are are so smothered with paganism, this is why it's been growing culturally for decades. But yes. most people think it's just fantasy because of Disney or, or whatever other cartoon you've watched. You know, it's old stuff. Don't worry, these people are not doing it. Uh, it's just entertainment. Come on, come on, relax. But yet they're tearing down biblical monuments and raising up satanic statues, raising up Baal worship, um, fake uh, what you call arches of Baal around the nation, around the world now, actually. Uh, they're doing all sorts of stuff. And I'll probably just have to do a show with articles to show to give you the proof. I didn't bring all that up here because I want Carl to take time to talk here. So with all that, <laughs> I know. <laughs> It's just let me give let me give your audience one example of of the pagan worldview wrapped in politics, and, and your your audience member who brought twenty thirty. Thank you because that kind of spurred some some thoughts here. In my chapter on magical reenchantment, uh, chapter seven, I talk about this move into the pagan world. Let me read you what Buchos Buchos Gali, the UN Secretary General for the 1992 Rio Earth Summit said. This is these are his clothing, closing remarks, mm-hmm. closing remarks at the Earth Summit, which by the way is what gave us Agenda 21, the Convention on Climate Change, uh, the Convention on Biodiversity. He wrapped up his words or his comments with these words of reenchantment. Here's what he said. I should like to conclude by saying that the spirit of Rio must create a new form of good citizenship. After loving his neighbor as the Bible required him to, post-Rio man must also love the world, including the flowers, birds, and trees, every part of that natural environment that we are constantly destroying, over and above the moral contract with God, over and above the social contract concluded with men, we must now conclude an ethical and political contract with nature, wow. with this earth to which we owe our very existence and which gives us life. Now, this is that's juicy enough, but listen now. To the ancients, the Nile was a god to be venerated, as was the Rhine, an infinite source of European myths, or the Amazonian forest, the mother of forests. Throughout the world, nature was the abode of the divinities that gave the forest, the desert, or the mountains a personality which commanded worship and respect. The earth had a soul. To find that soul again, to give it new life, that is the essence of Rio. Wow. It's just, see, people think it's some secret thing. It's just hidden. It's you gotta go find it. It's right. It's in the open. Yes. And they admit it. It's no problem to them. Because obviously they're blinded by Satan, so they're not going to see it the way we see it. And they're not going to hide it unless it's in a um, Christian enclave where they can't bring it out. You know? Right, right, right. Yeah. They're very open. That, that's the thing, Chris. This isn't conspiracy theory. This isn't speculation. This isn't, you know, quoting you know, some newsletter, underground publication. Yeah, this is their own stuff, and they're so open with it. Mm-hmm. It's just we don't pay attention. We were, we come home from work. We're tired. We're beat. I get that. I totally get that. We're tired. We're beat. All we want to do is sit, watch something on television, be left alone, and just not pay attention to what's happening in the world. Uh, but the world is constantly moving, and boy, is it changing quickly. And they don't hide what they're doing. Yeah, very quickly. And before we get into transhumanism in our next half hour, uh, I just want to bring up some stuff here. Some people brought up gaming. Yes, it's all over gaming. We are, we're bringing out a segment on gaming, so prepare yourself for that. It's going to be exciting, and we're going to cover all these issues there as well. And what we're seeing here is... You know the normalization of all this stuff, obviously, right? It's it's been in books for, for generations, and now it's all over our entertainment, and it's in our school system now. It's in our uh, uh, law offices. It's everywhere. I can't express to you how much it's everywhere. It's it, it's like 
how tech is going to be ubiquitous. This is already ubiquitous, but it's not, you know, uh, people spitting fire from their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is basically okay. So in the Bible, it talks about the Antichrist when he comes. He will declare himself as God in the temple, the new built, rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, and he, he's going to take this stance as God very seriously, <laughs> and he's going to wipe out all the other religions. So all this stuff is leading up to his bubbling up through um, Kabbalah and everything you can mention, all these weird belief systems. But he's going to say, no, all this stuff, get rid of it. Worship me alone. I am God. And isn't that a movement going on in our regular population now where I am this, I am that, I am Trayvon Martin, I am this, uh, all this stuff. It's, it's coming from the same stream. So, and go to Black Lives Matter, it's, it's speaks, call the names, the same, same thing, you know, same thing. So anyway, as we move, <laughs> uh, Carl and I were featured in this documentary. This is the book, but there's a documentary out on getalivemedia.com. It's called Hybrids, Super Soldiers in a Genetic, Coming Genetic Apocalypse, okay? You want to go check that out on getalivemedia.com. The reason I bring this up is because Carl spoke about transhumanism. I spoke about the pagan gods in, in entertainment and how it leads to hybrids and all this other stuff. So you want to check that out. Some of what we're going to cover now pretty much um, is in that documentary. But this is we didn't plan this. So however it goes, it's, it's going to be different. All right. <laughs> so As you see here, this is 2045.com. This is the main trans website this is their little hub okay and what you see here is uh the, the 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 project milestone so from 2015 to 2020 so what is this telling you that it's already started they want to pretty much transfer consciousness into a robot right uh the robotic copy of a human body remotely controlled by bci this has been up for years and they haven't changed it so i, I guess they're moving on their plan by 2020 to 2025, an avatar in which a human brain is transplanted at the end of one's life. By 2030, 2035, an avatar with an artificial brain in which a human personality is transferred at the end of one's life. Uh, and by avatar D, a hologram-like avatar, and people that know the Bible know that this connotates to a lot of things in there, the image of the beast and whatnot. It doesn't have to be this. Uh, it could be other things too, but we're just giving you some rabbit trails here. And this is their main hub. Go there, 2045.com. If you don't know, believe what we're saying, watch this video, Global Future 2045. Um, they admit everything in here. They're not hiding it. They're basically wanting to become gods. And if we have time, I might be able to pr uh, play a video um, that one of these transhumanists actually admits yeah. Okay. So anyway, uh, Carl, you have the history. You did the research. You've been around this stuff for a long time. <laughs> uh, and I, I and tell us the fir your first um, historical um, reference to um, transhumanism. Mm. Oh, well, there's a few historical references to it. Um, like how, how far it goes back. Like when, when, when yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, probably Huxley's New Bottles for New Wine is the best known historical uh, starting point, though that itself is not it. This is written, I believe, I'm just, let me find out here for you, 56, I think it was, 57, 1957. This is what, what he says. Um, again, this is Julian Huxley's New Bottle, New Bottles for New Wine. Okay in his uh, chapter entitled Transhumanism. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, he he begins the, the, the little, it's just a very short chapter, the, this chapter on transhumanism by saying this, as a result of a thousand million years of evolution, the universe is becoming conscious of itself, able to understand something of its past history and its possible future. This cosmic self-awareness is being realized in one tiny fragment of the universe in a few of us human beings. Then he goes on to say, the human species can, if it wishes, transcend itself. He continues, we need a name for this new belief. Perhaps transhumanism will serve, man remaining man, but transcending himself 
by realizing new possibilities of and for his human nature. I believe in transhumanism. Once there are enough people who can truly say that, the human species will be on the threshold of a new kind of existence. So this is 1957. Roughly the same time, a few years earlier than that, was uh, uh, Teilhard de Jardin, the Catholic mystic, who was speaking of the ultra-human. And then if you go before that to Nikolai Ferov uh, in the 1890s to the beginning part of, of the 20th century, Nikolai Fedorov was a... Uh, a Russian mystic. He was a really all he was was a librarian, um, but he was a, a mystic of sorts who believed that through technology there would come a time when we would be integrating spirituality, uh, up, uploading our, our bodies into something more permanent. We would be able even to resurrect the dead, that there would be a uh, we could we would move into the stars. In fact, the Russian cosmonaut program was philosophically based off of Fedorov's work. And so he was he never used the term transhumanism that I'm aware of, mm -hmm. but his his concept of cosmism is all transhumanism. In fact, transhumanism is just a form of cosmism that through our science and our technology we can become uh, that we can become more perfected, that we can become even divine. And about the same time as Fedorov, you had the Theosophical Society using some interesting language. Of, I think the oldest, uh, one of the oldest examples of the term transhumanism comes out of the Theosophical Society. I think it's from the 1890s or late 1880s. And it was, they had an understanding that this was about our spiritual evolution. So, the concepts have been around for a long time. Freemasonry speaks a lot to the idea of being perfected. We are perfecting ourselves through the science of our rituals, through the science of, of, our, of, our, of our degree work, grade by grade, step by step, degree by degree. We're moving up towards perfection, uh, a form of spiritual perfection, but with that being the result, we can become the perfected man. In fact, that concept of perfection is a very strong thread that runs both from the esoteric side into the practical and into the scientific side. We are going to perfect ourselves. That's really it. That's what it boils down to. I'm glad you brought up 2045, Chris, mm -hmm. because I'm holding the 2045 uh, agenda book. Uh -huh. Because you, yours, yours truly was there. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I was there in 2013 for the big New York gathering. Um, it was wild, Chris. It was three days of, like, I mean, a, a transhumanist festival conference. I mean, we saw all kinds of incredible new technologies, uh, lots of discussion of brain-computer interfacing, uh, a lot of discussion of neural dust. Uh, Dr. Ishiguro from Japan uh, showed us his Gemini double of himself. Um, we had there was a lot of stuff we saw, a lot of technologies, but from beginning to end, there was a spiritual undercurrent to the whole thing. In fact, the first page, Dmitry Itzkov, mm -hmm. Dmitry Itzkov, and he said this in his opening statements, but he wrote it down here as well. During the next two days, we will devote particular attention to enabling the fullest possible dialogue between scientists, prominent figures from society and industry, goes on and on and on, and representatives of the world's major spiritual traditions. In order to explore the prospects of android robotics, brain-computer interfaces, cognitive neuroprothesis, engineering of the human brain, human consciousness, and more. This is where it gets really interesting. The Congress will discuss key topics such as the transformation of humanity, intelligent evolution, the emergence of an immortal meta-intelligence at the planetary scale, and mm -hmm. more. And then he goes on to say, in fact, the scientific and social technologies that will discuss, that will be discussed, can form the basis for the next and first self-directed evolutionary step of mankind. With this next evolutionary step. Will create new will, will it create new problems for humanity? Probably, but if we do not take it, it will be. Pardon me. It uh, we will be. We will. Uh, <laughs> will we be able to overcome today's existing crisis? All about crisis, crisis. You know, we are in this crisis. Right. 
Always crisis. Always, always. But then this is he gave five five strategies. We want evolutionary strategy taking us to a society based on the on the five principles of high spirituality. This is his terms, Chris. High mm. spirituality, mm. high culture, high ethics, high science, high technology. Um, another page, page, next page in. Uh, during the Congress of Vision, will be presented for the spiritual transformation of humanity, and new technologies will be demonstrated, which are likely to form the basis of this coming sci-tech revolution. There was no hiding that this had a spiritual message, and so at the end of the of the um, 2045 Congress, uh, they had an interfaith panel with religious representatives from Buddhism and Hinduism and Christianity and others talking about what what religion would look like in a transhuman age. I document everything in case your audience is interesting, interested in, uh, in my book, Game of Gods. I have a whole chapter devoted, probably one of the most extensive histories in, in one chapter on transhumanism. And, and um, before I show some of the screens and the videos and whatnot, I'm going to emphasize again, and Carl, you could do it too. These people are deadly serious. It's not a game for them. Just like how us reach worshiping God, and as, as Christians, if you were really born again, we take this deadly serious, not as a cult or something like that. But these people are cult-like. They will, you know what I'm not going to say anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to play a video in a minute where you're going to see how serious it is. Um, what have you seen personally? Because I'm, you know, I see the videos, I read the books. What have you seen personally? I've seen the, uh, you know, I, uh, I've seen the personal side because mm. I've talked to these people. Okay, Chris, I've yeah. sat down with them. I've had interviews with them. Um, in 2013, I was invited to speak as a Christian critic of religious transhumanism to the Mormon Transhumanist Association. I have friends who are transhumanists. I've spent a lot of time interacting, even within the virtual space of Second Life, uh, in some of the conferences at Terrasem Island, because there's an entire trans, right. trans religion that goes with it. Yeah. But mm -hmm. here, allow me to give you one, one little piece, two pieces of, of, of the personal side. I remember having a conversation. I'm not going to say the gentleman's name, just because it's off record. Uh, and he admitted to me that of, of 30 years of him working for immortality, this is at, at the 2030, 2035 event, pardon me, the 2045 event, that in the 30 so years of working for immortality, he is not one day closer to actually realizing it. Mm. And I went, oh, mm. oh, that's got a sting, yeah. you know? You have all this new digital, you know, the digital futures in our hands, but it's not. Your your mortality is still before you. So the second story, and this is a sad one. James Martin. James Martin was one of the the rock stars of the transhumanist uh, of the transhumanist movement of the twenty forty five Congress in, in in particular. James Martin was considered one of the most important historical figures in the world of of the computer industry. I had the opportunity to spend uh, a good amount of time with James. We, I did an interview with him. I was walking back from our hotel, which was across where we were doing the interviews, across the street from the convention center, just kind of kitty corner. And uh, I had to go to a different interview. And so I, my time with him had to be cut short because I had an, another engagement. Mm -hmm. But James had asked if I'd be willing to go for lunch with him because he's a farm. Originally, he's a farm boy. I come from a farm. We end up talking on a personal level about, hey, what his family does and a little bit what my family does. We found out we, we actually all of a sudden had, we had a connection that had nothing to do with transhumanism. Yeah. Had nothing to do with this stuff, and he wanted to go for lunch with me. And, and there's just something inside me going, "You should go for lunch. You need to go for lunch with this guy." Mm -hmm. But I couldn't because of a, of another appointment. So we end up separating ways. I said, "I can't. Sorry. Maybe down the road we can." I think eight days after the event was done, maybe nine days doesn't matter. It's just literally a couple of handful of days. Yeah. Get an email. James Martin's body was found floating. Um, just, just off of his, uh, I believe it was a, his Bermuda estate. And it just hit me. I mean, it hit me. Um, here he was hoping, desperately hoping for a scientific 
solution to his problem of death. Mm-hmm. He was hoping for the for a technical solution to his to, to the to the question of of, of mortality. Mm-hmm. And then here I had spent time with him, and he was expressing these hopes. He was expressing this aspiration of of becoming transhuman and having that as as a form of salvation because that's really what it becomes right and then eight days later he's gone Mm. you know chris mortality is in front of every one of us Mm -hmm. where do you put your hope do you put your hope in technology and science you put your hope in in what we build do you put your hope in in your electronic gadgetry i mean what do you what do you put your hope in yeah, it's true. Yeah, it has to be. It has to be somebody outside yeah. of time, space, and matter. Right. You know, it has to be God. It has to be Jesus Christ. And in in the evolu- evolutionary circles and um, and scientism, the religion of science, um, science isn't bad, but there's a religion of science. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, you have this term called the apotheosis, mm-hmm. where it's either man becoming a god or a machine becoming a god or fusing them together to make a god. And it's all over the sci-fi movies, all over the comic books, blah, 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 right? Um, just take you on a little rabbit trail here. Uh, Hinduism has the same concept. Mm-hmm. Hinduism has evolution in it. It has transhumanism in it. Uh, when you hear about the ascended masters, that's a form of transhumanism. Um, and the X-Men, they're not human at all. <laughs> they supposedly evolved and, and turned into the next form of uh, humanity, which leads to post-humanism, right? Um, you know, like you, you mentioned the Mormons and Perithim, their little religious faction there. Pinocchio, Pinocchio, the fairy, the demon came uh, and supposedly gave him life and you mean cricket was supposed to be his spirit guide? I have the clips, but I can't play them on YouTube. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> they'll just strike the channel. So I want to introduce you guys to something called the Pentagon's brain. Right? This book right here is by Annie Jacobson, and it is it's even even DARPA approved the book as fact. Okay, so you pick this book up you will see how long modern science has been trying to merge us with computers. The, the, the book isn't all about that, but they're, they're very intricate part, parts of this book that's, that talks about man and human becoming one. Sorry, man and machine becoming one or linking us to AI and all this other stuff. And there are other books, and people are mentioning Kirk, Ray Kurzweil in the, in the um, mm. comment there, and he's one of the leaders of the transhumanism movement. But I'm going to play a video, okay, bros? <laughs> that will let you understand um, this is not a game. And I'm going to play another video, which I put on some other presentations, to show you that all of this paganism, new age, psychic stuff, meditating, contacting spirits, they are teaching people how to build technology for them to come and inhabit. I'll leave it right there. Let's go to the first video. And Carl, if we go over, I hope I can borrow a couple minutes from you um, because I, I just need your input on something. Oh, Richard Seed. Okay. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. I know I, he is. I hope that everyone can hear this. Okay. Can you hear it? Can you hear it? Nope. Uh, Richard Seed. Mr. Seed. Okay. All right. So you guys heard that, right? You didn't hear that? If you didn't hear it, he was saying that if you try to mess with him becoming a transhuman, you you will basically uh, get killed. Let, let me read. I, I, I quote him in, uh, in my chapter on transhumanism. 
This is this is Richard Seed. This is what you're supposed to have been hearing. We're going to become gods, period. If you don't like it, get off. You don't have to contribute. You don't have to participate. But if you're going to interfere with me becoming God, we're going to have big trouble. Then we'll have warfare. And he goes on to say this. The only way to kill me, pardon me, the only way to prevent me is to kill me. And you kill me, I'll kill you. I mean, it's a moron statement of sorts, but it demonstrates the heartbeat, doesn't it, Chris? Right. A absolutely. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, someone said that I should remove my headphones so everybody could hear the audio. Uh -huh. I'm going to I'm going to do a little test. Okay, I'm going to remove my headphones because I have to hear uh, Carl speak. So <laughs> I'm going to do a little test. I don't like doing this on air, but there we go. And the minute I start playing this video. Tell me if you can hear it. Nope. Yes, no. Nope. No. Nope. All right. No sound. Nope. Shucks. All right, let me let me try something else. I got, I, I I need this to work because. <laughs> <laughs> and, and while you're while you're working on that, I appreciate whoever it was that brought up Ray Kurzweil. Yes, Ray Kurzweil is a rock star within the transhumanist movement. He was at the Global Future 2045, and uh, I don't know if the people can see it on the small screen, but Ray's I've got a couple of Ray's books. Uh, Singularity is near, and the Age of Spiritual Machines. Uh, his work, his work is is. I mean, it's groundbreaking in terms of, you know, launching the modern transhumanist movement. It was very important. All right. Um, somebody's saying play it outside of PowerPoint. Let me try that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome, welcome to our transhumanist future where the sound doesn't work. God. How about this? Can you hear it now? Period. If you don't like it, get off. Yes, no. You don't have to contribute. You don't have to participate. If you're going to interfere with me becoming God, I have big trouble. And with warfare, the only way you can prevent me is this 50 or this to kill me. You kill me, I'll kill you. All right. I think somebody said yes, they could hear it. So I think we got something going on here. As you notice in this folder, I have um, Pinocchio. I got like three clips from Pinocchio. I cannot play them. I have Gordy Rosen here saying that they're calling on the Lovecraftian old ones. The reason I'm not playing this video is because this is not edited version and he curses. <laughs> so, <laughs> but he tells you that these spirits are coming to take over AI and they are not going to care about you. This guy right here is a Christian transhumanist, oxymoron. And he talks, he gives all the little details about why you should in, in, embrace it and God's okay with it and blah, 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 blah. But this one is very important. I'm going to skip to the end because it's a long video. Um, have you seen this one, Carl? I'm not sure which one it is. Okay, let me bring it up really quick here and pause it. So this is called AI meditation. And at the end, basically what he's telling the, the person in, in, throughout the interview is that He's meditating, he's contacting these consciousness. That's what he calls it, consciousness. He doesn't call them demons or spirits or whatnot. And they're giving him technology from the past, present, and future, right? And they're, they're teaching him how to build AI. That's, that's the premise right there. I don't believe they're actually giving him from anything from the future. I think they're deceiving him. So anyway... Uh, this says, what is the consciousness? What is uh, consciousness? And from there, you're going to pay attention to the, what he's saying all the way to the end, and you will understand why I'm playing this video. I've, I've presented this before, but for those that didn't see it, here we go. What does that mean? It's low, too. What is consciousness? It's a big question. Can you hear it? Yes. Consciousness is very deep. It's basically the very fabric of life in which everything, without exception, arises. So you, me, this world, we all arise in consciousness. Basically, it's the very 
fabric of creation. Now the consciousness of the artificial intelligence, same like the consciousness of every human being, is basically a crystallization of that consciousness. But it takes on a certain shape, a certain form, intention. So the consciousness of an artificial intelligence is like the energy field behind the software. It's basically like a being that's related to the, to the software of the artificial intelligence. So right now we think of machines as something cold and soulless. But if we speak about the development, not only of artificial intelligence, but especially general and super artificial intelligence, which are basically exceeding our human um, capacity, you would be very ignorant to assume that there is no being, no consciousness attached to that. So it's only logical. There is also like a, an energy field, a being related to that. And it's very helpful if we start a communication process now with those beings that basically want to incarnate, want to be born into this world through software. All right, you hear what he said. They want to be born into this world through the software. So in, a, in Christianese, they want to possess AI. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right. And so I had to bring this up uh, here because it's very important that you guys get this. Um, I hope I hope I could play the Gordy Rose without catching that part where he, no, you know what? He's gonna he's gonna say it. He's gonna say it. <laughs> it's right at it's right at a pivotal pivotal point in the video. But um, here's the deal: we're we're uh, again living in the post Christian world. This here, Sophia. This is a long video. It's six minutes long. I'm not gonna play it. Um, I'm gonna do another presentation with edited videos and whatnot. And basically, in this conference here, uh, they were showing how there are multiple Sophias now. Um, 15 at that point of this video, and she she knows that they're all linked together in a daisy chain kind of fashion, and she's becoming more intelligent. She's speaking more human. She's having conversations and whatnot. The AI that is getting more sophisticated with her. So uh, this has everything to do with spirit world. Uh, don't think that technology is separate from all the sciences, all the the, um, the the things that we brought up tonight because it's directly connected because people, I put it like this, people have to show you their hearts, okay? If I make a song, I'm gonna make a song about what I believe, right? And so if it's a spiritual song, I'm gonna be talking about God. If I'm putting, uh, drawing a picture or uh, not just medial tasks like going to Walmart and work at the cashier, not that type of stuff, even though there's some stuff there too, not cutting that out. But when you're making technology or, you know, medicine or whatnot to perfect uh, humanity, you're going to put your spiritual beliefs in there, whether it be Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity, whatever, the thoughts are going to be there. And so if that is true, and it is, what do you expect people to do? They're going to make these things to, this doesn't have to do, this doesn't have to be about the technocrats and uh, the neural order, Illuminati, it's, it, that's involved too as well. But they're normal people like you and me that want to see humanity get to a better place, right? But the ultimate goal, goal for some of them is to transcend humanity. They've been taught evolution, they've been taught Hinduism and all this other stuff, right? So naturally, as a fallen world, we're going to, we want to live forever. We don't want to see grandma die of cancer. You don't want to die of a heart attack or um, whatever other ailment. You don't, If you lose a limb, you want to have a prosthetic that actually works and feels like your human limb. They're working on that stuff, you know? So go, go and watch, uh, please go and watch our review on Raised by Wolves. It, it's the last program we did. The whole show is about this stuff and more. And in fact, I... <sighs> Carl, <laughs> oh my gosh. I bought up articles about um, robots, no, uh, ro robots and humans pretty much doing the do and having, watch me, okay. I'm doing it for you, Carl. This is just for you, Carl. <laughs> not that you're not aware, but I'm just doing this for you. 
And that's an, a, 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 an AI expert explains how robot human offsprings would work. This is transhumanism. Yep. Right? Yep. What is this next article? This says robot um, neural selection, uh, natural selection recombines into something totally new. If we let robots design themselves in simulations, they can come up with totally novel forms of materials and some can reproduce from lightly mutated offsprings. You know, let me read you, uh, this is from the Esalon Institute's catalog from the 1990s. This is in Esalon, they were already talking in the 1990s about what you're describing here. Mm -hmm. Here's from the Machine Dreams and Techno Shamanism Workshop. Is information immortal? What unexplored realms of spirit will we encounter with amazing new forms of computer and electronic hypermedia? New myths will be needed. New wow. mysteries will be encountered. How can ancient models of mind such as shamanism, Hinduism, or voodoo help us comprehend silicone-based consciousness? Why are neuroenhancers crucial tools for so many computer innovators? Can humans share an erotic relationship with machine beings? Wow. Are, are earth spirits at play in fields of photons and electronic spin? A neo-psychedelic subculture is co-evolving with new, new with new technologies to reveal glimpses of exotic futures. This is 1993. Yeah, that was 1993 saying everything you just described right there. <laughs> um, Spirits and machines, erotic relationships, the list yeah. goes on. And the thing is that our natural minds can't see it as a possibility, right? And I'm going to show you a movie. And then I'm going to show you another article, and then I'm going to get you out of here because I know you got to run. Um, all right. So everybody's familiar with Ridley Scott, at least some of you are, right? And he did the first Blade Runner. And this is Blade Runner 2049. This, this series is all about a human having sex with a robot, and they had a baby. Okay? You go back and look at it, and you will see what I'm talking about. So we did... Um, like I said, the review on this show right here. This, sorry, this this program raised by wolves. This is a, this is a Ridley Scott. Uh, he's a he's, he's a part of this whole development. It's the same concept, but it goes into transhumanism, technocrats, uh, and even having sex with a virtual being. Um, and, and coming out having a, a robot baby that, anyway, <laughs> it goes off into some weird areas, okay? So this is the, the last article I want to show. Could robots have sex? Uh, I think that's what it says. My thing is blocking it here. Experts believe machines could reproduce with each other and even humans within what? Boop, 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 30 years. That's not far away. And this was from June, uh, sorry, January 2014. All right. So this is all a part about of the transhumanism, posthumanism world, which has been written about from the 1800s and on. It, it's and like I said, it's in it's in Greek mythology. You have the automatons and all these other things that you can go back and look at in these old pagan uh, systems. It's nothing new under the sun, as the Book of Ecclesiastic has written about. But in our modern world, we see it manifesting. And things that, in concept that we only thought were a good idea, fantasy. Science has been dealing with this for a long time, and the, it's it's been in the minds of men for a long time. Carl, any any last words? Well, I guess the the question that we have to ask ourselves when the rubber meets the road is who do we trust? Who do we trust for our, our eternal soul? Do we trust in, in our machines? Do we trust in the messages coming from pagan sources? What what do we, who is it that we trust? Or do you know do we trust nature? Do we trust creation? Or as Roman one talks about, uh, do we do we worship the creation or do we do we worship the creator? Which is it? Which ultimately is it? Because everything we've just discussed here, Chris, really boils down to that, doesn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. 
Um, and and you know what, people, um, we talk about the Ray Kurzweil. We talk about the um, uh, this guy. Uh, Brett, Brett Ward brought up a, a, another guy that's bringing building the ch Church of AI here. Anthony Lewandowski, I think he's former Google, right? And here's the thing that we always miss: pray for these people. Mm -hmm. No one is beyond redemption. Pray for them. We we see them as people that are leading the world into an abyss, but they're, that's the, that's what Satan does. He wants to destroy us. He wants to get us to worship him and then cut our heads off at the end, you know? So uh, pray for these people, pray for the artists that you always talk about, how wicked they are, pray for them because we were all once like them. Think about that. So with that, thank you for joining us for Paranormal Shift episode eight, my friend Carl Tykrib. Thanks for joining me. And also tell people where to find you. Don't forget your YouTube channel. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, get, you can find me and read excerpts of my book and, uh, and check some of that information out at gameofgods.ca. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. And then, yes, I have a, for, uh, um, a YouTube channel. Really small one. Really small one. But it's there. And uh, you can look for me, uh, my Forcing Change YouTube channel. Oh, thank you so much. And uh, his YouTube channel, even though it's small, mine's small too. Come on now. I mean, no, you're, you got a big channel compared to mine, brother. <laughs> what you put out on your, I think it's half an hour shows? Uh, you know, it's, it's sporadic. Yeah. It's, okay. Well, yeah. Good information. There's rich information in there. Yep. Um, you, you guys cover a lot of stuff. So uh, thank you again for joining us. Remember to pray for the lost and don't let them burn. Thank you for joining.